Surprises. Who does not like surprises? Whether birthday surprises or surprises just for the fun of it. Surprises, like they can be so fun, but for some, maybe you kids, and maybe even some of you, you adults, it might be, they might be hard to keep these surprises. Especially, you know, for little kids. When they hear that there's going to be a surprise for their big brother, their big sister, or their little sister, etc., they cannot help but speak and tell. It's as if they think, you know, once the parents have given them this information, they, it's like they think, why would I not want to share the information? Why would I not want other people to share in the same joy and in the information that I have right now? And so out it comes. Well, today we see that the, the disciples of Jesus Christ, they cannot help but speak the truth about the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. They, of course, were not told to conceal the news, but instead they were told to spread the news to the ends of the earth. That, here's the news, salvation can be found in no other name but Jesus. That's our main idea today. There is salvation in no other name but Jesus. This is what they cannot help but speak and spread to the ends of the earth. Look at Acts chapter 4, verses 1 to 22. Acts chapter 4, verses 1 to 22. Obviously, we are in the book of Acts, and we are walking through the book of Acts, and we saw this miraculous act previously, right? We saw this miraculous act done by the hands of the apostles, specifically the apostle named Peter. He heals this man who was crippled from birth, and of course, we know who the one is who is really at work, and it is none other than the resurrected Christ, working through the disciples in the power of the Spirit to build His church. And that is exactly what the book of Acts is all about. It is about the resurrected Christ building His church. Now here in Acts chapter 4, we are in some very early stages of this work of Christ. We see the very first healing done by the apostles in this early stage. And then we see here a speech that comes right after the healing, right? It's only Peter's second recorded speech. But already we see this appropriate pattern. Peter tells the crowd here, Jesus saves. Jesus has the power, we saw, to not only heal the body for that man, but to heal the souls of all who turn to him. And we know there that loads of people turn to Jesus Christ. 3,000 people are baptized and then added to the church's number. But not all are thrilled about what's going on there. Not all are thrilled. And you see this here in our first scene in Acts chapter 4. <clears throat> Look there, verse number 1. And as they, that is Peter and the disciples, as Peter... And the apostles were speaking to the people. The priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them greatly annoyed. So just to set the scene, right, if we're just going to sort of go back to, to a previous text here, what happens is that they're still in the outer courts of the temple. Peter and then the crowd there, they, they go up to the temple initially to worship God at the normal prayer time during the prayer service. And then they heal this man who is lame from birth. And, and this guy who's crippled from birth, he gets up and he starts leaping and walking and praising God. They move towards the temple and there's, such, there's this huge crowd that they eventually move to the outside 
uh, the outer courts of the temple there. Huge crowd forms, and look who turns up, some very important people. You have the priests, they're the spiritual leaders of Israel. You have the captain of the temple name there. He's, he's the number two in command. He has the power to arrest. And right above him is the high priest. Here you have the captain of the temple. He's number two in command, right? This is no joke here. And then you have this group called the Sadducees, also uh, who, were, who they were known as leaders in Israel, people who knew the Old Testament, um, first five books of the law, and they were adamant in keeping the law of Moses. They too had members in very high places in Israel, and they actually seemed to lead the charge against Jesus and then the apostles. And they roll up on the apostles there in verse 2, greatly annoyed, look there, because it says they were teaching the people and proclaiming Jesus, in Jesus, the resurrection from the dead. Now for the Jews, some believed in the resurrection of the dead and some did not. The Sadducees, they did not. But you could still worship in the temple whether, whether or not you believed in the resurrection or not. You could still go to the temple. You still worship God. That doesn't seem to be the biggest issue here. What is intolerable to all, no matter what their position on the resurrection was, is this guy Jesus. The resurrection, right? That's a topic of discussion. But the resurrection in Jesus, whether his actual resurrection or the resurrection to come that has begun in Jesus, that is off the table. You know, this council was the same council who worked so hard to stamp out Jesus Christ. Keep that in mind, right? This is serious. They were the ones who led the charge to put Jesus to death. They were the ones who had lied in public. At the end of Matthew, right, Jesus' body, he, he had been raised from the dead. They don't know what to do. So they pay the Roman soldiers to spread lies, saying that disciples came while they were sleeping and stole his body in the night. So when they roll up on the disciples, it's safe to read that they were not only greatly annoyed, but also fearful. I think that kind of develops, this fear develops, it comes out through the book of Acts. What do they do? They begin to persecute the disciples of Jesus. Verse 3, they arrest them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. And this here is the very first arrest because of the apostles' witness to Jesus. Again, remember, right, this is the second speech recorded in Acts, and already we see this response toward the good news of Christ. Now, of course, this was not the only response. You look there in verse 4. Many who had heard the word, that is the gospel, the good news of Jesus, believed. And the church grew then to 5,000. But to think that the church, in standing for Christ, will only receive positive results, right? That, that simply would be foolish. If any of us here think that we're in Christianity or we're for Christ and we're never going to experience any opposition at all, right, based on this, right, that, that's absolutely foolishness. Based on the example of Jesus, that is foolishness. This early episode in the life of the church is evidence of the fact. You look there at verse 5. Look at verse 5. It says there, On the next day their rulers, elders, and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem. Right Now all of a sudden we have more people added to the bunch. We got the rulers. We got the elders. These are respected people. We got, we got the scribes of Israel, those who are so dedicated to copying the law. We had Annas, the former high priest. We have Caiaphas, the current high priest, and then others in the high priestly family. This, this is big deal. And so all these rulers there in verse 7, they set the apostles right in their midst, kind of like we are right here. Apostles right in the midst, and then all the, the leaders of Israel looking upon them, and they go about 
interrogating them. Now, on a human level, this would have been absolutely intimidating. There was a period of time when I wanted to go into law enforcement. I had applied to the DEA, the FBI. I applied to the Orange County Sheriff's Department. And for the Sheriff's Department, I remember my, my major interview with them. And I was big time nervous. I had to go to the you know, standard stuff. You get dressed up, go to the courthouse in Santa Ana. I got to wait my turn. And when it was my turn, I got ushered into this room and I was seated before three or four high ranking officials of the county. It was intimidating. Them behind the table grilling me about all sorts of stuff and me in my little folding chair. It was intimidating. The interview actually ended up going really well. Went on to have other interviews. I had scheduled my psychological psych exam, which was basically like the very last step before you get hired. But right there, right after I scheduled it, I went off to D.C., uh, Washington, D.C., and felt called into the ministry. Uh, but nevertheless, that interview was an intimidating time nonetheless. Imagine Fisherman Peter and his pal John sat right there in the midst of Israel's heavy hitters who had just killed his Lord. This was the same group, again, that arrested, interrogated Jesus. The same group who, quote, sought false testimony against Jesus so that they might put him to death. They were looking for false testimony against Jesus that they might put him to death. Matthew 26, 59. It's the same council that indeed put him to death. And so surrounding these disciples, they asked there in verse 7, by what power and by what name did you do this? Basically asking, right, what, what supernatural power did you do this in and, and what's the source of this power? If you think about it, though, I mean, shame on these leaders of Israel who knew that the Lord had delivered his people out of the hand of Pharaoh under slavery. Shame on these people for having to ask. They knew the apostles were teaching about Jesus already. The question comes then from more from a heart that refuses to believe than one that genuinely seeks to learn. And it is this refusal that they began to persecute Christ's followers. As we go through the book of Acts, it just gets worse. I wonder for you, Christian, have you faced opposition for your faith? I know here in the West, here in America, it might not look like persecution, like getting arrested or interrogated. Maybe here in America, opposition probably looks more like mockery. Maybe people want to distance themselves from you socially. And then in response, maybe you fear seeing those friends again. Maybe you fear seeing those family members again who relentlessly prod you, asking you all sorts of questions and some, maybe genuinely to learn, but others wanting more just to criticize you. Maybe that's what you face as you look towards this holiday season, and so you fear. Maybe you just want to avoid. Maybe right, that's you. You've experienced it before, and you just don't want to experience it again, and so you fear. Maybe there are some of you, though, who fear and avoid, not because you've already experienced this, because you never want to. And so you avoid opportunities to share the gospel with others, period. You simply just do not speak of God and his power in sending his eternal son to die on the cross for your sins and then to raise him from the dead. You just don't speak about this power and his name 
because you're so busy wanting to protect your own. Whether you fear facing opposition again or you fear facing opposition for the first time, this is actually a common struggle. I've struggled with this. I'm sure many of us here have struggled with this. It was actually a struggle for Peter. Peter struggled big time with the fear of man. Big time. So much so that at the crucifixion, we've talked about this before, he denied Jesus when a little girl asked him if he knew Christ. You then, therefore, can identify with Peter. Maybe you fear your reputation being tarnished amongst your coworkers. That very reputation that you tried so hard to protect so that you might secure a more solid place in the company. Maybe you fear rejection from your family, your friends, as you know they don't believe. And your Christianity, therefore, means that you don't do things that you used to do with them, like drinking, drugs, speaking bad about others, desiring evil upon others. And what you'd love to do the most for your own comfort and security is just fly under the radar. As long as I can just fly under the radar and go unnoticed or stay in the good graces of others and be liked by all, then things would be okay. Then I would have this salvation. You probably look at this situation here and you might think, man, I don't understand how in the world Peter and John could face that. I don't know how I could face that. If you struggle with the fear of man, I, I hope you can identify with Peter, not only in his failures, but also in his courage. As you see next, it's encouraging actually to look at Peter, both in his failures, because we know what he becomes. He becomes this apostle who in the first half of the book of Acts is going around heralding the gospel of Jesus Christ, willing to suffer shame for the sake of Christ. Look at Peter's response there in Acts chapter 4, verses 8 to 12. Then Peter, you see there, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what man's this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. This here is a different Peter. This is a different Peter than the Peter who was at crucifixion, who was fearful. This here is Peter who is bold because he is filled with the Spirit. He's filled with the Spirit for the task of speaking before the council here, reminding them of who the Lord is, explaining to them who God's chosen servant is who, have, who has come to die on the cross for their sins if they would repent and believe. He is bold. Keep in mind that his boldness is not just so that he might speak in front of a group, Right? As if the Spirit's only job is to help us be better public speakers, though I'm sure some of us might appreciate that. His boldness here is, is boldness in relation to speaking in defense of the Lord and Savior. Peter here, what does he do? He heralds Christ. Thank God that that same Spirit that strengthened Peter for that task, to speak to others who had the power to kill him, 
is that same spirit who fills us today. It's that same spirit who will fill you with conviction, with strength, with boldness in Jesus to defend Christ to your friends and to your family, regardless of the path before you. And Peter responds here, he first appeals here to the good deed that they did. It's undeniable, right? That's, that's what's right in front of them, a healed guy. It's an undeniable fact. Everybody again knew him. They all saw him walking, leaping, praising God, going to the temple, praising the Lord, the very Lord that the rulers said that they loved. But, right, the irony is there's no praise of God on their lips. Here's Peter's answer. Let it be known to all of you. And by extension, all the people of Israel, that by the name of Christ, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, by him this man is standing before you well. So the leaders, right, they drag him, set him right before them. It's, by what name do you do these things? Of course, they already know. And he says, let me tell you the name. By the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, by him this man is standing before you well. I love this scene here. This, this, this heralding of this great name, this interrogation about who this person is. And then you have this marvelous answer. There is such irony here that the apostles of the Lord are evangelizing the ones who were supposed to represent the Lord to the people. But these rulers here are blind. I mean, obviously so in their hostility and hubris. It says there, they killed Jesus. Look there, verse 10. Whom you crucified by the name of Jesus Christ, whom you crucified. Think of how frustrated, think of how frustrated the council must have been here. They were the ones again who just tried to shut up this Jesus. They were the ones to mock him, to deny him, to deliver him over, to be struck by the cross and killed. And then they just simply discard him with his side pierced, buried in a tomb. And just when they thought that they got away with it, right? It was reported that the tomb was empty. Again. They manufacture a cover-up story. Matthew 28, it's recorded that they paid off the guards to say, to the, say that the disciples stole the body in the night. That's why the tomb was empty, guys. This is the rumor that they spread, which was going on even in that day. They went through all this human effort and power to shut him up, to crucify him and cover him up. But what does verse 10 says? say? Whom you crucified. <laughs> they got noped. They got noped. But God raised him from the dead. You crucified him, but God raised him from the dead. They were overruled by God's plan and by God's power. As God's chosen servant, sent to save, who died on the cross for the sins of all who would repent and believe, and then who was raised from the dead, showing that salvation has been won for all of his people. Renewal has begun, Peter says, by him this man stands before you well. And to their even greater irritation, what does Peter go on to say? Look there at verse 11. This Jesus, the stone that was rejected by you, he's just quoting Psalm 118. The stone that was rejected by you, the builders, has become the cornerstone. The stone that the Jewish readers, leaders considered irrelevant and useless and worthy of being rejected has now, by the will of God, become the cornerstone and apart from him, right, what's the implication? You ain't in it. Verse 12, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. How could Peter not be bold 
knowing full well that God had done it. He had sent Jesus. Christ had taken on flesh and come, left his throne of glory and entered into human experience. Christ had been crucified as God's chosen servant, the Lamb of God, to take away the sins of the world. God had raised him from the dead and exalted him, given him the highest place of glory and honor, restored him to the glory that he had from the beginning. In terms of being bold for Jesus, it sure helps to know these things, right? To know who God is, to know that even if other people assault the Lord, it is God who raises him from the dead. Even though Jesus might give himself over to death, it is he himself who gets up from the dead. Peter here, he has a huge view of God and Christ, the only way to salvation. And so he understands the gospel. It's the gospel that saves him. He knows that he himself is a sinner, as we all are, the Bible says. Rejected. We all had rejected God, had rebelled against him earn for ourselves just condemnation because God, of course, is the only king there is in town. And so to rebel against him means that we're setting up our own thrones, facing him, facing off against him, which is treasonous, worthy of eternal punishment, the Bible says. But God, what does God do? But God, he shows his love and his mercy in Jesus Christ, who lives the righteous life that we could not, who dies the death that we deserve as he bears the wrath that sinners deserve, that we, his people, deserved. He submits himself to the will of God. For the joy set before him, he endures the cross, lets himself be harmed and killed, humanly speaking, lets himself be buried. Three days later, he rises from the dead, declaring to all that salvation is free and death no longer hangs over us hangs over you if you turn from your sins and believe. If you're visiting with us and are exploring Christianity, this is why Christians share the gospel. This is why Peter is bold. This is why Jesus tells his apostles to go to the ends of the earth with that gospel. And this is why we too, as his disciples, First Baptist Church of Hacienda Heights, this is why we too share the gospel. It is not so that we can be saved. It is not so that we can earn points with God as if they contribute somehow to salvation. It's because Christ is Lord. Christ is Lord. And he holds out forgiveness of sins to all who would turn and believe upon him. This is why we speak. This is why the apostles preached. It's part of the reason why I preach today. It's part of why your friends are sharing the gospel with you. We have, we know we have a good and amazing God, and we are to hold him out to you. That's why we share the gospel with you, even when we are fearful because of what you might think of us. And we know that too is sin. Why is that sin? Because we know who God is. We are to never be ashamed of God who has so loved us and sh showered his love upon us. Now, you guys get this, right? If you're, if you're not a Christian, you guys understand this. Why would anybody want to be ashamed about large as if they lord over you you'll turn up to your and his eternal son is his chosen servant to fulfill all himself to the death to save and deliver you from sin and death and satan when you're convicted of that you'll shout that from the rooftops would you not
And other people, you know, how do you begin to see them? Other people, you'll see them less as those who ought to be bowed down to and more as those who, as those who along with you, are to give all glory to Jesus. And if it's his name alone that saves through faith in his name, not by any works, but if it's through his name, through faith in his name that saves, then you'll come to realize that the most loving thing to do is to point them away from false hopes in themselves or in other things, but then to Christ, the one and only true hope. Christians, I pray, pray that you would pray, that God would be Lord of your heart such that others would become smaller to you in an, appropriate, in an appropriate way, that they would become smaller in your view. If you struggle with the fear of man, pray that you would grow in conviction by the Spirit of Christ so that you come to know him more, so that you come to know that he's the one who loves you, the one who is righteous, the one who is holy, the one who is certainly judged. And then therefore you would speak boldly for him even to the very highest earthly authority even if Christ's path, his very path of suffering, should become your own, as he said it would for so many of his people. Let me encourage you, two different things to read if you do recognize that you struggle with pleasing other people or fearing man. The first is when, when people are big and God is small. You can go ahead and write that down, When People Are Big and God is Small by Ed Welch. If you have not read it, let me encourage you to get it and to read it. Read it with other friends here. Um, I've probably read it maybe five, six, seven times, and I benefit from it every single time that I read it. Another one uh, is, is a book called Fearing Others. It's in that, that series called the 31-Day Devotional Series. So every single day, you can just read two pages on, uh, on the issue of what it looks like to fear God more than to fear man. And then you could get through it in a month. And maker. The council certainly did not fear the Lord. How was it that the council responds, right? They hear about this name, the name, and to those who know, to those whom God is calling, the name is awesome. But how do they respond to this name? You look there at 13 and 14. 13 and 14. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. It's a strange consideration here. They're amazed at Jesus' disciples because they knew they had been with Jesus based on what they were saying. They maybe even knew, they had read in the Old Testament what it looked like to be filled with the Spirit, to speak on behalf of Yahweh. And so they recognize here that something unusual maybe is going on, but they don't repent. They could have repented, but they don't. Verses 15 and 16, go ahead and look there. It looks like they're so determined to fight. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, right, they're done with them. They conferred with one another saying, what shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. You see, they're right there. They, they got their heels dug in to fight, just like the resurrection of Jesus. There's no way they're going to accept the resurrection of Christ, but there's no way to deny it. So what do they do? They do everything in their power to what? Control it. Verse 17, but in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. And so just like with Jesus, they tried to shut them up. As we know from history, eventually in death as well, 
But here, they're just given the command by law to shut up. Again, you see here the irony here. The leaders of Israel forbid that the name of Jesus be spoken among God's people. Though Israel was to sing of their king, bless the Lord, O my soul, bless his holy name. They judged the name of Jesus to be a curse. Verse 18, so they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. You realize that they're asking the disciples to do the very opposite of what the Lord, their Christ, told them to do. Again, if they have a big view of God and of Christ, right, what do they say? Verse 19 and 20, but Peter and John answered them, whatever is right in, in the sight of God or whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. As in, look, you, you go ahead and judge for yourself. For we, but for us, we cannot but speak what we have seen and heard. That's boldness, determination, and courage. Note, of course, what their confidence is in. It is in what they have seen and what they have heard. That is, the crucified and risen, risen Savior, that Jesus is exactly who he said he is, the fulfillment of all of God's promises, and that salvation is found in him and in him alone. As we move towards a conclusion, Christian, let me ask you, how is your boldness? Now, obviously, when it comes to the things we have seen and things we have heard, you know, obviously we're not eyewitnesses like these apostles, but our confidence today is based in the same foundation as theirs, Christ the cornerstone. Our church, right here, our church today, has been built on that same very cornerstone, built on the same gospel of Jesus Christ preached by the apostles. We have the same exact faith that was once for all delivered to the saints as it says in Jude 3. You know your Christ. So how is your speaking of his great name? Him who has made himself known to you all by his grace. If you are a member of this church, you know him as God over you, the Lord, as well as God with you in Christ and his spirit. You know him as, as the one who has so freely chosen to forgive you of your sin and pardon you of your sin in Jesus Christ. Even when you were guilty of your sin. Who does God put forward? God didn't put forward you. He puts forward his own son. Not because of any work of your own, but simply because of his great love for you. Because he has compassion upon you. And where you could not save yourself, God saves you. Claims you for himself so that you would know him as good and loving father. In Christ, now you have this imperishable, undefiled, unfading inheritance awaiting for you in heaven. And in Christ, you are invited to know the riches of his mercy, the unsearchable riches of his mercy in him who saves. How is your speaking of Jesus's name? As we enter into this holiday season, let me encourage you to speak of him and for him. Again, you're gonna have your gatherings as Governor Newsom recommends, you know, no more than three families gathering together and it has to be outside. Let me encourage you to be thoughtful and creative about the things you talk about. One suggestion to use uh, comes from these questions that are found in your bulletin. Go ahead and open up your bulletin there, if you don't already have it. If you look after at, towards the end, you'll see there are 10 questions to ask at a Thanksgiving gathering. I mean, just listen to some of these, these questions that you can utilize with your family and with your friends, right? What's your favorite Thanksgiving food? And then it can move towards some more significant things. 
What is one thing you've learned this year for which you are most thankful? He goes on. If you could thank one person today, near or far, living or dead, for their influence in your life, who would that person be? Another one, who's one person you've never thanked for their contribution to your life but would like to? The last one, for what do you feel most grateful to God today? Excellent question. You can just pass them out. You can talk to them. You can just say, yeah, you know, as, as I'm a Christian, I'll just go ahead and answer them. As a Christian, let me tell you, let me encourage you to go ahead and use that pamphlet, those questions, to spur on greater conversation. For others of you guys, you may not be seeing family and friends in the ways in which you're used to, right? So how exactly are you going to do that? How are you going to herald Christ's name or speak about him? One great way, you know, you can consider writing a family newsletter to your family and friends. They probably want to know how you're doing since they haven't seen you regularly. Let me encourage you to include some things about Jesus, your Savior, in the newsletter to them, in that email to them. You can mention about how Jesus Christ is the one who never changes, and you can do this in this time where there is great change going on in our nation. You can talk about how God cares for us most clearly in Jesus Christ. And as we speak, Pray that God would indeed fill us with his spirit such that we would have great conviction, conviction in the truth. Pray that he would give us a spirit of strength so that we would be faithful witnesses to Jesus Christ, God's servant, come to take away the sins of the world. I hope that as we grow in our knowledge and understanding of our Christ, that our hearts become more and more entwined with his so that we too would be like the apostles and that we too would say that we cannot help but speak of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who loves us. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, Lord, indeed, we pray that we would not just labor to speak about you, but we pray, Lord, that you would help us know more of who you are so that speaking about you would just become our nature. We pray that we would comprehend more of your unsearchable riches in Christ and just how much you love us. Reveal to us more and more the unfathomable love you have towards us as sinners in Jesus Christ such that we would bound and we would indeed shout from the rooftop, so to speak, that in Christ there is salvation. We pray, Lord, that you would captivate our own hearts. We know what it's like to speak of all sorts of things, whether it be the elections or other things we love, our football teams and this teams and the stock market or this and that. Lord, teach us to talk about you. Lord, we pray that we would love talking about you, knowing that there is no other name on earth by which we may be saved. In your name we pray, amen.